So in the mid-1800s, there's a guy named John Godfrey Sachs who wrote a poem that has today become a parable, and maybe you've heard about it, maybe you've heard the parable. It's called The Six Blind Men and the Elephant. Anybody heard of it? This little parable has been used by many people who are trying to help other people understand that all religions kind of lead to the same place. That each religion, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or Judaism or Christianity or the New Age movement or whatever, that each particular religion is holding on to a piece of the truth. And the reason that they're arguing amongst each other is that they don't understand that they're really all touching the same truth. The parable goes like this. Six blind men approach an elephant. The first blind man touches the side of the elephant and says, this feels like a wall. The second blind man touches the trunk of the elephant and says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is a, this is a snake. The third blind man touches one of the sharp tusks of the elephant and says, no, no, no. You guys are wrong. This is a spear. The fourth blind man touches one of the legs of the elephant and says, no, you guys are wrong. See, this is a tree. The fifth blind man touches the ear of the elephant and says, guys, come on, this is a fan. And the sixth blind man grabs a hold of the tail of the elephant, gives it a little tug and says, you guys are all wrong. This is a rope. And so again, the parable is used to kind of illustrate this point. It's a powerful point in our world today that all the different religions are actually holding on to a piece of the truth, and therefore they're all correct. So everyone needs to relax and stop arguing because if they just could open up their eyes, they would see that they're all on the path to God. Well, I want to welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Danny, and I'm the lead pastor of our church here today. I want to welcome our Banta campus and our Franklin campus watching live right now. Could you give it up for them? It's exciting to be here. I also want to welcome everyone watching live online right now. We're starting a brand new series called The Problem of God. And you say, where did this series come from? It actually came from a book called The Problem of God. There you go. Very creative. Uh, this book was written by a pastor in Canada, and they did a little series. He wrote a book about it. It's a fantastic little read. I can't go as deep as he went in this book, but I thought it'd be a great series to begin on Easter because it really poses all of the, the challenges or the, the objections or the hurdles that people have when it comes to faith, when it comes to church, when it comes to God, all the reasons people say no to religion or no to church or no to Christ. And so today I want to talk about this issue of don't all religions lead to God? Don't all religions, that's one of the big objections that people have to Christianity. And then next week we're going to talk about the, the, the existence of God. Like how do you know God even exists? Can you prove it? And then the week after that we're going to talk about the problem of evil. I mean, if evil exists, then how could a good God exist at the same time? We're going to unpack that. Then we're going to talk about the problem of science. Hasn't science disproved the existence of God? That's week four. And then week five, we're going to talk about how can we know that we can trust the Bible? Like, I mean, wasn't it written by a bunch of random people and they put the 66 letters together, books together? And, and how, do, how can we trust that it's actually God's word? And so those are some of the big hurdles that people have when it comes to faith in Christ or faith in God. But today I want to talk about the problem of exclusivity. The problem of exclusivity. Exclusivity basically is this idea that there's only one way to heaven. Christianity teaches 
exclusivity. It does. It says that the only way to get to heaven is if you put your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and three days later he rose again, and you have to place your, your faith and confidence in him in order to see the Father or make it to heaven or spend eternity with God. That's a very exclusive teaching. And in our super politically sensitive world today, our politically correct world today, that sounds very offensive. It sounds very unloving. It sounds, quite frankly, arrogant. It even sounds bigoted. Rabbi Shmuley Botek said this, He said, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that's anything different from, wait for it, spiritual racism. Wow, that's our culture today. If I dare say that I have the truth when it comes to God or I have the the truth when it comes to religion, by default, I'm saying that anyone else out there does not have the truth. Well, that's very offensive in our culture today. And Christians especially are now being labeled as spiritual racists. That's a heavy term. The word racism, wow. I mean, that's a dark word. That's an evil word. The idea that because of my skin color, I'm somehow superior to another race. Spiritual racism. That because I I claim that I have the truth in regards to God and, and religion, that somehow I'm a spiritual racist. How have we gotten to this place in our culture? Here's how we've gotten there. We've confused cultural pluralism with metaphysical pluralism. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Cultural pluralism is this idea that (laughs) you're an American and you're free to believe whatever you want to believe. You want to believe in unicorns? Hey, go for it. You want to believe in mermaids? You're an American. By golly, you have the right to believe in mermaids. And you will not be put in jail if you believe in mermaids. Now, does anybody, does everybody agree that you like that right you're like, if you want to believe that George Bush orchestrated 9-11, like, you can believe, like, you're not going to go to jail for that in this country. It's a, okay, so you have the right to believe. You want to believe in a flat earth, you can do it. Like, we're a disc hanging in space, you know, just, there's, a, there's an ice wall around us. You, know, you can join the Flat Earth Society. You're not going to go to jail for believing that the earth is flat. Like, you're an American, and that is cultural pluralism. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And I think Christ followers should defend the right for, for people to believe what they want to believe. In fact, that's what, that's what makes us Americans. We escaped from England because they were telling us what we needed to believe, right? And that's, that's what we, our country was founded on, this right to believe what we want to believe. But what we've done in our culture today is we've made the shift from cultural pluralism, the right to believe what you want to believe, to metaphysical pluralism, which is a very simple shift. It's a shift from saying you have the right to believe what you want to believe to what you believe is right. Did you catch that? Not only do I have the right, not only do I have the right to believe, but you have to agree that what I believe is actually right. And if you don't, that's offensive and that hurts my feelings. And, and we could never hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> and that's our, that's our culture today. We don't want to offend or hurt anyone. And so if I say I have the truth, by default, you don't have the truth, you're in error, and that's offensive. It was the great prophet Oprah Winfrey who said this. I'm not joking either. I'm, not, I'm dead serious. She is a spiritual leader in the, in the world today. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Watch. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. And the reason that this is such a, a nice position is because it's, it's inclusive. 
All can come. Hindus, Buddhists, Islam, Judaism, the New Age movement, whatever. There's multiple paths that lead to God, and no one is offended. See? That's where our culture is today. And how did we get there? Because we've confused cultural pluralism, the right to believe what you want to believe, with metaphysical pluralism, what you, whatever you believe is actually right. Now, to be clear, Christianity is very exclusive, and I've already said that. I want to show you where, it's, where Jesus, because it came out of the mouth of Jesus, and there will be a time in the future where pastors will, will feel pressure not to share this Bible verse with their congregations. Mark my words. But I don't feel that right now. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can go to heaven, say it with me, except through me. Totally exclusive. There's no other way. In the book of Acts chapter 4, Paul says it this way. There is salvation in no one else. Not Confucius, not Moses, not Muhammad, not Buddha. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other way to be saved on this planet than through Jesus Christ. That's incredibly exclusive. By default, that says all of the other religions are false. That is highly offensive. How dare you say that, Pastor Danny? I didn't say it, first of all, so I'm not guilty, okay? Jesus said it. Paul said it, okay? So let's just get that straight. How can Christianity claim that? Well, here's how Christianity can claim that. Just very, very, very simple. God, in the Bible, what what we learn from the Bible is that God created human beings to be in fellowship with himself. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He was perfectly fine with himself and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Unity and Trinity, Trinity and unity. That was before he created humanity. But he decided to, he wanted to express his love on a creation, human beings, so he created Adam and Eve. Now, in order for Adam and Eve to be human, he had to give them what? Something called what? Free will, okay? You can't be human without free will. Without free will, you are a what? You're a robot, okay? So God cannot express love or receive love from a robot. He, that they're programmed to obey, right? So human beings are not programmed to obey. So he creates Adam and Eve, and in order for them to have free will, they have to have a choice. So he creates this tree, and he says, hey, don't eat from that tree. If you do, you're gonna die. I want you to obey my words. And so Adam and Eve blow it, right? They sin in the Garden of Eden, and that sin separates them from God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we read these words. Paul wrote this to the Christians in Rome. When Adam sinned, it's interesting how he leaves Eve out of the scenario, doesn't it? It's like, well, she ate first, God. How about, you know, anyway. He lets the woman off the hook. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought, say it with me, death. There was no death before sin. God's plan was for human beings to never die. In fact, we really, we don't really ever die. We die physically, but we don't die spiritually. But now this thing comes into picture, physical death comes into picture because of Adam's sin. Not just physical death, but spiritual death in the sense that we're separated from God forever. That is spiritual death. And so death spread to everyone for everyone has sinned. There's no one on this planet who hasn't sinned. And if you, if you have a bone to pick with sin, you, you've forgotten your childhood. <laughs> Just think back, folks, <laughs> to how bad you were growing up. I mean, this is sin, right? Maybe, you, maybe you're denying sin because you're currently not in a, in a relationship. You're not married. See, that's funny. All you have to do to, to, to realize that you're sinful or that other people are sinful is get married, get engaged, get a girlfriend, get a boyfriend, right? You suddenly discover sin is a very real thing. Or maybe you're in denial about sin because you don't have any children. (laughs) See, there's some of you that like, okay, anyway. 
So, so sin comes into the world because Adam, Adam broke God's rules. That to be human is to choose, is to have free will. And, and remember what I said, Christianity teaches that God created human beings to be in fellowship, to be in relationship. And sin breaks that relationship. It creates spiritual death. But God, that's not God's plan. In his mercy, he sends Jesus to this earth to solve that problem. Look at verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God, Adam, God made, uh, uh, disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, who is that other person? Jesus Christ. Because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Christianity teaches that Jesus came into this world, he died on a cross, three days later he rose again so that you and I could be put back in a right relationship with God. I love what John said when he saw Jesus coming, coming to be baptized in the Jordan River. John said this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't come up to set a, did, Jesus didn't come to set up a religion or to build churches. He came to remove sin from mankind so mankind can be in fellowship with God. That is what Christianity teaches. You know why Christianity can, can claim to be exclusive? It's because it's the only faith system that adequately deals with the human condition. Every other faith system fails to deal with sin properly. And you look at Christianity and see, you see God redeeming mankind, putting mankind back into fellowship with himself. And that, folks, is why Christianity is exclusive. So anybody who claims that, you know, well, it's really everybody's kind of touching a different part of the elephant. And if everybody could just see the big picture, you know, the blind men can't see the whole picture. But if you could see, then everybody would realize everybody's going to the same place and all religions lead to heaven. Anyone who claims that to be true hasn't seriously considered what the other faith systems are teaching. Let's do a 50,000 foot level journey with me through the, through the different religions very quickly. Let's talk about Hinduism first. Hinduism teaches that you are caught up in this endless cycle of reincarnation. Endless cycle. It teaches that there's one God named Brahman, and he has unlimited ways to represent himself. In fact, to date, there's about 330 million ways that Brahman chooses to represent. It's a, it's a form of pantheism. God is in everything, and God is everywhere. And so the goal is not to get to God. The goal is to end the endless cycle of reincarnations. Reincarnation. And that's kind of the gist of the very high-level view of Hinduism, very different from Christianity. Then there's Buddhism, which is a spin-off of Hinduism. Buddhism is actually different from Hinduism in the sense that it rejects any idea of God. There is no God, but they do believe in the endless cycle of reincarnation. And the only way to get out of the reincarnation is to get to this state of spiritual enlightenment called nirvana, which is this, this, this condition where you've crushed all human desire because human desire is the problem of the human race and it's what causes sin. And so if you could just get to this point where you desire absolutely nothing, you'll arrive at nirvana and you'll stop being reincarnated over and over and over again. Now, again, that's very different from Christianity and again, it's different from Hinduism. Let's talk about Islam. Islam teaches that there is one God, but he's unknowable. Not even the prophet Muhammad was able to talk to God. God had to talk to Muhammad through an angel. Okay, and if you obey the five pillars of Islam, you know, pray five times a day to Mecca, recite the creed, give to the needy, make a trip all the way to Mecca one time in your life, and there's another one I keep forgetting. But if you follow the five pillars of Islam and you're faithful to it, to those pillars, there's a chance that you might make it to this place called paradise. Here's what's interesting about paradise. God is not there. Allah is not there. 
okay? It's not about getting to God. It's not being in relationship with God. In Islam, God is wholly unknowable. He's wholly other. He cannot interact with human beings. Again, very different from Christianity. And they say, Islam teaches, if you say that God had a son, you are a liar. They do not believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They believe he is a prophet. They do not believe he rose from the dead. Anyone who says that is an unbeliever in Islam, okay? Very different from Christianity, very different from Hinduism or Buddhism. And then there's Judaism. Judaism believes in the Old Testament. In fact, Christianity rests upon the teachings of Judaism. But then when it comes to the New Testament, they believe Jesus was a blasphemer, Okay, he was not God. In fact, that's why the Jewish high priests had the Romans crucify Jesus. Because they believed he was lying and he was not God's son. Very different from Christianity. And then there's the New Age movement, which simply says everything is God. The trees are God. You're God. The earth is the spiritual source of, uh, of all, is the ultimate source of spiritual power. And it's, a, it's, this, it's this goal of you becoming a God. Wouldn't that be fun to become God? Bruce Almighty, remember he tried that, didn't work out too well for him. <laughs> All of these different faith systems teach incredibly different ideas. So anybody who says that, again, the elephant illustration works, hasn't truly considered what these, teach, what these faith systems are teaching. They cannot all be leading to God because of the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction. You say, what is the law of non-contradiction? It's something you and I live by every day in our lives. The law of non-contradiction says this, two contradictory statements cannot both be true at the same time. What does that mean? It simply means I was either born in New York City or I was born in Indiana, but I wasn't born in New York City and Indiana at the same time. You agree with this? <laughs> it's impossible. And those of you who know me, you've been around for a while, you know that I was in fact born in New York City. I can't be both born in both places. Does that make sense? I either have socks on or I don't have socks on. Would you like to see which one is true? I'll show you right here. I've got some socks on. Not only do I have socks on, but I have my Easter socks on. Check these bad boys out. I mean, these things are awesome. Right? I love, if you, don't, if you can't see it, I love Jesus. This is the, this is the law of non-contradiction. Like, I can't have socks on and, oh, I don't have socks on. Like, both cannot be true at the same time. Now, I know if I don't put my shoes back on, some of you are not going to be able to focus for the rest of this talk, and plus my feet are sweaty, so they're leaving marks on the stage, which is kind of gross. <laughs> if I showed you what my feet look like, some of you wouldn't come back to this church. If I took my <laughs> socks off, they're pretty beat up. Anyway, anyway, law of non-contradiction. You go to the dentist, hey, doc, so do I need a root canal or do I not need a root canal? Yes. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Do I need one or, or do I not? Both, right? You, you go on a date with somebody. Hey, so are, are you married? Or are you not married? Yes. <laughs> are you married or, or do you mean that you used to be married and now you're not married? No, I'm married and I'm not married. I mean, it's so ridiculous, right? You go, you go bungee jumping, right? And you ask the person who's in charge of your feet to make sure they're all secured. Hey, are my feet secured or are they not secured? Both. Well, I'm about to jump. I really need to know if you secured my feet. I did and I didn't. You, you're going on a flight. You're going on a plane, right? You call the airport. Hey, is my flight on time? Does it leave at 1 o'clock? Well, it leaves at 1 o'clock and then it also leaves at 6. 
Oh, do you mean that there's a different flight at six? No, no, no. Your flight leaves at one. It also leaves at six. See, we, 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 don't, we can't even function without the law of non-contradiction. But yet, for some reason, when it comes to issues of faith, we say, yes, you are reincarnated, and also Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to save your soul. Whoa, 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 you can't, you can't believe, it's not both. It, God is unknowable, right? When you get to heaven, you will never see him, Islam, right? Or you're gonna spend forever in eternity with God and fellowship with God, enjoying God, Christianity. It cannot be this and this at the same time. But for some reason, because we don't wanna offend people, we say, it's both. And it's madness, folks. It's absolute madness. Truth, by definition, is exclusive, it just, it rules out the opposite. If something is true, if three times three is nine, three times three is not also 12. And it's no use in saying that it's 12 just because it might offend your brother or your uncle. Truth by itself is exclusive. So where does this leave us? What are we gonna do with the law of non-contradiction when it comes to religion? We've gotta stop asking the question, you know, don't all religions lead to heaven? We have to ask a different question. And the different question is, which religion best represents truth? We've got to become researchers. We've got to, we've got to figure this stuff out. We've got to use logic. We've got to use reasoning. We've got to look at the empirical evidence to see which faith system actually represents truth best. And I'm telling you folks here today, and it's in my personal opinion, based on my studies, that Christianity best represents the human condition. Listen to what Peter said about Jesus in 1 Peter 3. He says, Jesus never sinned, but he died for sinners. Why? To bring us home to God. That's what we need. Best represents truth. Sin separated us from God. We needed forgiveness. We needed reconciliation. We needed redemption. Jesus Christ provided that for us. But it wasn't just his death. In fact, if he would have stayed dead, we wouldn't be here today. Do you agree with this? It wasn't just his death on the cross. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were crucified by the Romans. Hundreds of them. Only one came back to life. Listen to what Paul said to the Christians in Rome. He was shown to be the son of God, not by his death on the cross. He was shown to be the son of God when he was, say it with me, raised from the dead by the power of the spirit. And the third day he came back to life. And when he came back to life, he proved that he was the son of God equal with God, able to forgive sins, able to redeem mankind, able to remove sins from people. In fact, Paul hangs his whole argument for Christianity on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Your faith is worthless. It's pointless. Give up. Stop coming to church. Stop praying. Stop reading your Bible. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing is a sham, is what Paul is saying. He died, but he rose again, showing himself to be the son of God. And then back in the early 1980s, there was a guy named Lee Strobel, who is a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And, uh, and Lee's wife got invited to church by a friend, and, and their life was just going perfectly. Lee was an atheist, and, and he had life the way it was, was going, and he was doing well at the Chicago Tribune. And his wife ended up getting saved in one of those churches, you know what I'm talking about, in Chicago. And it ruined, it ruined Lee's whole plan because she comes home and she starts inviting him to church and hey honey, won't you start considering faith? And he's like, I'm an atheist, what happened to you? Who stole your brains? <laughs> he was so mad that he decided he was gonna go on a two year journey to disprove Christianity. 
And he traveled the entire country talking to leading experts in Christianity to debunk what they were saying. After two years of research, here's what Lee said. I spent two years looking into the evidence and in light of what I consider to be an avalanche of evidence that powerfully points towards the truth of Christianity, I came to the conclusion that it would take more faith, listen, it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christ follower. Wow. So many people have, make the mistake of thinking that faith is for people that don't have a brain. When you can't answer any questions, just call it faith. Take a leap in the dark. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Faith is a belief in the evidence that is presented to us. Evidence for what? Evidence for the resurrection. Evidence for the Bible. Evidence for the existence of God. It's not a shot in the dark. There's empirical evidence. Like faith is a, is a category of knowledge, much like math is or science is or physics is. You can study it. You can look at the evidence and you can trust it. And that's exactly what Lee Strobel did later on in his life. He would publish his findings, his two years of research in a book called The Case for Christ. Anybody see, seen it, heard about it, read it? fantastic book right now the movie the case for christ is on netflix fantastic movie they made a movie out of it what am i saying to you today i'm saying to you there is evidence in the book lee talks about the evidence for the resurrection he talks about how if you were to make the story up that jesus came back from the dead you wouldn't tell people that women were the first one to discover the empty tomb you wouldn't say that here why wouldn't you say that this, this is so serious this is so interesting Back in Jesus' day, women's testimony was worthless because women were uneducated. They were valueless. A man could divorce a woman just like that in one day. Said, I'm done with you. They were a little bit more valuable than children, and children were worthless in Jesus' day. And so here you have women discovering the empty tomb, the first people on the scene that Easter Sunday morning, and one of them was a prostitute, folks, Mary Magdalene. Now, when they wrote the Gospels, it took about 25 to 30 years to take pen to paper. Like, everything was being passed down, which is not a very long time. If you think about 25 years ago, you could remember where you were and what you were doing. <laughs> anyway, they have 25 years to write the women out of the story and say, I'll tell you who showed up. First person at the tomb, Peter. People will believe that. Why not write that into the story if they were making it up? But they weren't making it up, and Mary Magdalene was one of the first women at the empty tomb, and they kept that story, and they wrote it into every single one of the Gospels, because that's how it actually happened. Then there's the empty tomb itself. Like, all Jesus' enemies had to do was produce a dead body. The whole thing's off. They could not find a dead body, because the, the man came back to life. <laughs> he was walking around. So what did they do? The, the Jewish priests paid off the Roman guards to say, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to tell everybody. Tell everybody, and we'll pay you to do this, that in the night, the disciples came and they stole the body. Now, these dudes were fishermen. Can you imagine them overtaking Roman guards who, if they lost the body, could suffer the penalty of death? I don't think so, folks. <laughs> imagine them moving the stone, beating up the guards and stealing the body. I mean, this is ridiculous, but this is what you have to make up. Because the tomb was, what was it? It was empty. So Strobel is looking at all this evidence. Then he looks at the evidence uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 where Paul says over 500 people saw Jesus in his resurrected form. And so experts have gone round and round and round. And all the critics of Christianity will say, oh, well, it was a hallucination. 
Well, if you talk to experts, and, and I don't have time to go into all this stuff, but the people who are experts in the area of hallucinations, they say you can only, one person can see a hallucination, but a group of 500, it's impossible for all 500 to be deceived by a hallucination at one time. They saw Christ in his resurrected form. And then there's this amazing shift of his disciples and their attitude and their courage. They were, remember, remember how, how scared they were? Jesus is crucified. Their savior is dead. And what do they do? They go hide in the upper room. They're, they're afraid for their death. They're scared out of their minds. And all of a sudden, they become these courageous, bold witnesses for the gospel. And they go on to be crucified and killed. Some of them crucified. Some of them killed for their faith. How? Acts chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he didn't pass out and come back to life. He suffered and died. He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was, say what? What is it? He was actually alive. This explains their change. This explains them going from fearful to courageous. You know, from, from scared to death to bold and be willing to preach this message and even be killed for it. They saw the resurrected Christ. They saw the holes in his hands and in his feet. This is the type of evidence that Strobel looked at. He said, I, I can't explain that in any other way other than Christ coming back from the grave. It's evidence, empirical evidence. I believe that Christianity is exclusive. But then again, all truth is exclusive. It's not the only religion that, religion that claims exclusivity. Islam does. There's only one way to God. It's through the five pillars. Hinduism does. You're, in, you're caught up in an endless cycle of reincarnation. That's the way it is. Every single human being, regardless of what you believe, you're being reincarnated every time. That's true for everybody. That's exclusive, folks. So the claim that Christianity is the only faith system that claims exclusivity is a false claim. I believe it happens to be the faith system that best represents reality and best represents truth. Christ Jesus died on a cross. Three days later, he rose again to bring you home to God. What do you do with that? Well, it depends. If you're an atheist, you need to consider it. Because faith is not a shot in the dark. And Lee Strobel found that out. There's a lot of evidence out there. You need to reconsider your position if you're an atheist today. If you're agnostic, which simply means you're in the position where I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what I believe. There's evidence for this. I'm not sure. I've not landed on a position. Well, maybe today you move a little bit closer to knowing the truth. If you're a Christian. You know one of those lukewarm questions? You kind of come to church every now and then. and You say you're a Christian, but you don't live your life for Christ. You know one of those. I know there's nobody here like that. <laughs> I tickle myself sometimes. <laughs> but you know who you are. What do you do with this? You got to get real with yourself, dude. Lady, ma'am, sir. Like, if this stuff is real, what the heck are you doing with your life? Chasing money and a better position and a little bit of pleasure. What the heck are you doing if all this stuff is true? Coming to church on Easter? Like if it's real, give your freaking life to it. Did I just say that? I just said that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm gonna get some emails. I know I will, but, but, but here's how I feel. Like, no, 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 seriously. Seriously, like if it's real, like if, if he did what he said, like give your life 
to him. Jesus, you're my savior, you're my shepherd, I will obey you and love you, I'll stop playing Christianity. That's what you need to do as a Christ follower. If this stuff is real, if he did what he said, he did. Now, once you make that decision, you know, for Christ, or, you know, maybe today you put your faith in Christ, it's not about just going to heaven when you die. It's about experiencing a quality of life. Like, God begins to put your life back together. It's about, a, it's about restoration, reformation. It's about putting the broken pieces back together. Sometimes that that's in your soul with depression or discouragement or stress or fear or anxiety. Sometimes it's in a relationship, a marriage, or bitterness, where bitterness and resentment has built up, or maybe a friendship. I have seen God do this so many times, and we're able to capture one of those stories on video for you. I want you to hear the story of Candace, and I want you to hear how God, because she turned her life over to her, over to him, put the pieces back together. And then after we hear this story, we're gonna, we're gonna baptize some folks, which is a great picture of the redemption story of forgiveness and being raised to newness of life. Check out Candace's story. John and I have uh, known each other since about eighth grade, but in March 2011, we re-met and we were just out and started a relationship from there. Becoming a mom is the best thing in the entire world. Um, I just remember being so ecstatic. Several months after Landon was born, uh, John and I's relationship did end. I think the normal falling out of love and, and not communicating sort of happened, but I found out um, that he had found someone else and was pursuing a relationship with her, and that's what made me decide that I didn't want him in my life. In the fall of 2014, uh, John went and we had a court date set so that he could start getting visitation with Landon. I remember just praying that it would go away. I, I would pray every night and say, Lord, please don't let this happen. You know, I've already got my plans for Landon and I worked out and this is this does not include <laughs> having to go to court so that he gets to see Landon. And the first date, uh, started to approach and it, and it got pushed back. Even though I was waiting and, and very anxious, I thought, cool, like this is gonna end up working out in my favor. I bet this isn't really gonna happen. And then I really slowly started realizing that God was really speaking to me and telling me that he was pushing back this date because I was not thinking about this the right way, that you know, I really needed to change my perspective that this wasn't right, how I was approaching it. Um, so slowly but surely, I really did start praying that God would just have his will. During those months and months of waiting, uh, I listened to K-Love a lot, and I heard the song Oceans for the first time, and it really just changed my whole life. Um, as I'm crying and, and singing these songs, I, I just felt this overwhelming peace which I'd never felt before. I also remember coming across the Bible verse, uh, John 13, seven, where the Lord says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but 
someday you will. And I'm like, okay, like I, I get what you're doing. Like you want me to make peace with John and the book of John. So once John came back into my life, uh, it was just so neat to see that our relationship was tenfold what it was. And then I remember John telling me that really during that whole waiting period too, that he was praying, God, please let Candace change her heart and her mind. And when he told me that, I my heart just about exploded. And then I'll never forget the day that John just asked, do you think there is any chance that you and I would ever be able to get back together? Once I said yes, I knew that God just completely took over from that day on. John and I um, dated, we got engaged, and then we got married in September of 2017. And we just really wanted to find a good church. It's funny because my grandparents actually were one of the first maybe 15 or, or 20 people that started the church. Um, so we wanted to come and try it out and we have been attending every Sunday since December. We also started a small group and we absolutely love that. It really is just growing our relationship in ways that we never even thought about. Just connecting with God and, and connecting with other people and we love coming here every Sunday and leaving with things to take away. Whatever you're going through, give it to God. He has a reason for it. There is a purpose for it. He can restore what was once broken. Give it to him and, and let him take over. So I decided to get baptized this weekend because it is just time. You know, after all that, that John and I have been through, I just love how it really kind of reminds me of, you know, the story of, of Easter and, you know, leaving the past, you know, in the past and, and just having this fresh resurrection, this fresh life and, and fresh start. And uh, I was actually in growth track and heard that baptisms were on Easter weekend and I felt the tug and said, absolutely, now is the time to do it. Peter said Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He physically suffered death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. What do you do with that? Some of you need to trust Christ right now. When I was 17 years old, I, I made that decision in my backyard. I just looked up to heaven. I said, Jesus, if you are who you said you are, I trust you with my life. I don't have all the answers. I still have a lot of questions. But I believe you died in my place. I believe three days later you rose again so that I could be forgiven. Some of you need to trust Christ today. So how do I do that? You reach out to him in faith. All it takes is the faith of a child. One time Jesus said, faith as small as a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? I have a bunch of them in my office. They're tiny. Doesn't take much, just a little bit of faith. Jesus, I trust you. You died in my place, you rose again. I give my life over to you. Wash away all my sin. If you feel led to say that prayer right now, I'm gonna give you the words. Take these words, make them your own. Trust Christ today. Will you pray with me? Say these words, take them, make them your own. Jesus. I trust you. I place my life in your hands. I believe you suffered and you died. And three days later, you came back to life so that I could be forgiven, washed, cleansed, 
so that I could experience a relationship with you. I ask you to be my Savior, my Lord, my God. Teach me from this day forward to love you, to honor you with my entire life, to follow you, and to obey you. It's in Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give God glory today? The Bible says when one person, when one person turns from their sins, there is rejoicing in heaven. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we want to put actually one of these Bibles in your hands for totally free of charge. There's tables back to my left and to my right over there. It's so imperative. It's so crucial. It's so vital. I cannot overestimate the the importance of you taking up the word of God, learning what it says, seeking guidance from God. So please, if you pray to receive Christ today, either here or online, there's a box you can check to say, receive Christ. Put your address there. We'll send one of these to, to you in the mail. Uh, also, talk to our team back there about something called Starting Point. It's a short-term small group environment where you can talk about issues that you have regarding faith, the Bible, Jesus, evil, all these different things. Uh, it's a great place to start on, start out on your journey, starting point. Let's give God one more, t- one more praise, guys. Come on, guys, give it loud. Are you excited? At this time, we're going to hand it off to our local uh, campus pastors. They're going to come up, and they have an announcement for you, and then they're going to wrap up.